Hey, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ainsley. And my name is Peyton. Welcome to Chomp Talk's Bits and Pieces, an all-sports skaters podcast. What's up, guys? Um, thanks for joining us again for week two of the Bits and Pieces podcast. Um, the unfortunate news is that you guys are stuck with Peyton and I this week. Um, but we've got lots to talk about, obviously, as the sports world has kind of done a little bit more unraveling this week. And we are both extremely depressed and just kind of want to rant over our cups of coffee a little bit. Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, we have a lot of announcements coming from a couple of the Power Five conferences in college sports this week. Um, you know, the dominoes started to fall with um, the MAC and then the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And, um, you know, it just kind of seems like each day – I think I put on Twitter last night, each time I hear my ESPN jingle, I used to get really excited and think, oh, what's – you know, what chef do you have to say now? Um, but now I just get super anxious. and. Um, you know, just don't want to look, but you have to look because it just seems like something else is another domino is falling or another shoe is falling, however you want to put it. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, that kind of explains where how I felt about everything. Um, Peyton, how have you kind of uh, accepted and digested this week? I've kind of been expecting it. I've been dreading it, but expecting it. And since I've been home with all this COVID-19 stuff from March until now pretty much the nightly tradition in my house is we all sit around the table for dinner and then my dad and I rant about stuff going on in the sports world and like politics and all that kind of stuff so we've been talking about this for a really long time and kind of just being like okay well here's how things are gonna go they're gonna try to salvage the season they're gonna keep pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back until they can't anymore and then they're gonna say oh we'll try to play in the spring and then they're just gonna cancel so a lot of this stuff's kind of starting to happen and as much as we don't want to see it happen like you know it's it is what it is but um one thing that has been big for me is right now nobody knows what's going on and nobody knows it's going to happen like a week from now a month from now whatever it may be so as a more pragmatic person and as someone that doesn't want to waste time coming up with scenarios that aren't going to come to fruition in the long run. I have been yearning for people to say things like, you know what, we're in the middle of a pandemic, like we don't know what's going on, but we're going to keep monitoring the situation and then we're going to provide updates as we go along and we just want to be candid with you guys about that. Because personally, like I, I have more respect for somebody who's like, you know what, I'm not really sure, I'm not educated enough to talk about it, than someone who's like, this is what we're going to do because this is what I think based on this limited knowledge that I have. You know what I mean? So in recent days, since these dominoes have started falling with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, Greg Sankey, I've found, has kind of changed his position on things a little bit. And I'm not saying that he was ever like gung-ho, like this is definitely what's going to happen, but he has started kind of reeling back and being like, you know what, we're going to take a look at what these conferences um, decided was the last straw and why they needed to cancel it and the logic behind their decision. And we're going to keep monitoring the situation. I'm not saying we're definitely going to play. I'm not saying we're definitely not going to play, but this is what we're doing right now. So I like his, even though it's kind of a week late because they just put out their schedule 
um, not that long ago, I do like the fact that he's being more candid with us, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, and I think too, whenever you look at these conferences, um, you know, because they have so much autonomy and, you know, the capabilities of doing what they want to do is, you know, individually, um, which is something I think we also will get into later, just kind of the need for a head honcho of the NCAA. But I dig, I digress for now. Um, but I think a lot of the conferences, you know, or the conference commissioners, nobody wanted to be the first one to pull the plug um, because we see the kind of backlash that the Big Ten has gotten so far. And, you know, people, you know, these Twitter warriors or keyboard warriors, whatever you want to call them, you know, are, are kind of, you know, really criticizing um, the commissioner there and saying that this wasn't an educated decision and that, you know, it was pulled the plug way too early and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, but to think that they aren't talking with these doctors and, you know, these team doctors or these, you know, these infectious disease experts and things like that is, is bizarre to me. And um, I know that there was, there's some differences as far as how the big tens doctors or whoever they're consulting um thing versus say the acc thinks i mean the whoever the acc is consulting whatever doctor who whomever um you know he believes that a fall sports season can be played safely whereas the big ten says that's not the case um but again i think just nobody wanted to be that first one to go they didn't want to be the bad guy um and so I think that's where Sankey is kind of sitting, you know, there's already, the villain's already there. It's just, you know, am I going to join forces with the villain or am I going to be one of the superheroes here? Um, and I think he's going to make the, you know, the most educated decision that he can, you know, the word that everybody uses to describe this is how fluid of a situation this is. And I don't think there's a better word to describe it. I mean, people think that we're going to know exactly what's going to be happening in March or what's going to be happening, you know, next week. And the reality of that is, you know, we don't know. Um, obviously, when you look back to where we were in March to where we are now, we know a lot more. Um, but still certainly not enough. And um, I think that's, I mean, I think it's okay. But yes, to, to you know, agree with you, I think Greg Sankey is doing exactly what he needs to be doing. You know, he's got two people, he's got, you know, two commissioners that he can touch on a little bit and say, hey, what made you guys make this decision? Um, and then on the other, you know, on the other side of the page, he's got the ACC and the Big 12 saying, why haven't you guys made this decision? Um, because the ACC and the Big 12, they're the ones saying, we're having a football season. We're having a football season. Greg Sankey hasn't really come out and said that yet. He says, we're just monitoring the situation. So he's kind of being, you know, very coy about it, but I think that's the smart thing to do for him right now. Um, you know, before he, he speaks out of turn, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think SEC wise, you know, sure we want answers. Um, but I'd rather have educated answers than answers that are either jumping the gun or that are going to come way too late. So. Right. Yeah. And I, do with these decisions that people are making, I know that the the sound bite is that player safety is of the utmost importance, and that is the main factor in the decision that everybody's trying to make. And um, while I can appreciate 
the Big Ten citing, um, I don't know specifically what it is called, but like the heart issue that they found in some players that tested positive, which was kind of like the nail in the coffin, how they were like, okay, I think it's, I think we might not be able to make this happen. Um, there are lots of health risks, long-term health risks associated with college football that they don't really care about or don't seem to care about. Like CTE, what are we talking about? Are we not talking about that at all in college football? Like maybe we take away um, kick off, kick return, stuff like that that can like limit hard hits and, and make productive rule changes to cite things like that. So I do, and this might be like the cynical sports reporter part of me talking, but like I feel like this is less about oh, how can we look out for our players and more about, like, how can we cover our and have less bad things happen because of the virus and get called out for it later on? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, we see, especially with the CTE, I mean, these are these lawsuits are getting filed daily against the NCAA and the NFL on CTE. And so that's something they're battling, you know, day in, day out. And I'm sure it is financially draining um, to, you know, facilitate these lawsuits. And then, you know, if a settlement does occur, um, I, I don't even want to know the amount of money that goes into that. And then so you add something like coronavirus on top of that, you know, it's kind of just like CTE 2.0, you know. I mean, you know, they're saying this myocarditis or whatever it is, is um, – you know, have these long-term impacts that, you know, in the sense of being a long-term impact are comparable to the um, effects of CTE, it spells trouble. So, I mean, yes, I think they are concerned for player safety, but at the same time, you know, the NCAA, these conferences have never not been a business and they're never not going to make business decisions and so, yeah, I think um, I think they're definitely looking out for themselves. Um, but we also need to take into consideration the amount of money they're losing um, not playing a season. So, again, um, you know, I think I said it last week, is when you look in the book of leadership that these guys, you know, studied and read, there's no chapter for a global pandemic. So, um, especially something of this magnitude. So I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's really hard to say, you know, you, you want to hope that, you know, the health and safety of these players are what's on the forefront of their, of their brain. Um, but we, we will never know for sure. I guess they're never going to come out and say that, you know, that they were just bluffing the whole time, of course. Right. Yeah. And I do think between everything that's been happening this summer, the, um, revelation that college athletes are making that about their worth their monetary worth and their worth when it comes to like the brand of their schools and the brand of the NCAA is very timely um because we saw it back in May when the George Floyd protest started and how college recruits were really paying attention to what coaches were saying and how they conducted themselves in practice and the things that they would let slide in the locker room versus not in how vocal they were about social issues that mattered to them. And then now we see basically um, all these players, you know, taking the time to make their own Zoom call and form basically like a, a platform for a sort of players union with the hashtag we want to play movement. 
um, which I think is really interesting. So like we're talking about how much does this, this crew of leadership really take into account, you know, like more so covering themselves um, than looking out for the athletes, but the athletes are looking out for themselves. And they're, they know that they're in this position or that their leaders are in this position to where they need them and their support and they're using that to get what they feel like they deserve. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I think especially out, you know, with the Pac-12, that's kind of, you know, they're the ones who really started voicing for this, you know, this player union type type thing. Um, you know, I think the NCAA and these conferences, you know, that seat under them is getting really hot. And so I think when these kids, you know, and these are 22-year-old kids, when these kids are starting to congregate in the ways that they, that these guys are um, and are demanding these changes and, you know, whether it's changes for health and safety or whether it's saying, Hey, we want to play or what, you know, whatever they're wanting, they're wanting in these mass numbers. And I think the NCAA and these conferences are like, Hey, we need to pump the brakes right now because if we lose this upper hand on these kids, then we're going to have to start paying them. We're going to have to start, you know, all these endorsements and everything that the NCAA hasn't wanted to do for, you know, since its birth, they're about to have to do um, if they want to keep these kids retained. You know, I saw something really interesting um, was these schools that are, um, you know, that are these conferences that aren't going to have seasons or, you know, however it's going to end up playing out. You know, and this is just kind of somebody spitballing here, but it made a lot of sense. So, obviously, um, The Rock just bought the XFL. Um, you know, what is stopping him from dipping into these schools saying, hey, come play for the XFL, you know, give up your amateur status, we'll put you in contact with agents, and we'll just streamline you guys right into the NFL. So, this is exactly what the NCAA doesn't want to happen. It would, it would be crippling to the NCAA and these athletic conferences um, if these kids start getting what they want. If these, and, and not saying that it shouldn't happen. Obviously, it absolutely should happen. You know, these, these kids are kids, and they're not, you know, just for entertainment. You know, these are human beings with beating hearts and things like that. And, you know, they, they should be treated as such. Um, but... I don't think the NCAA has any idea what's going to happen to them if these kids start getting what they want. It's, it's going to be financially crippling. And if they, you know, deny these kids, these kids are going to find another way to play football and get paid for it and get treated like they need to be getting paid for it or like treated how they need to be treated. And um, so I think that's another thing where, you know, not playing a football season might you know, that might be a benefit for the NCAA in these conferences just to put time and invest the energy and manpower and whatever they need to do to really take a look at the situation and say, where do we go from here? How do we retain, you know, these kids who we do need to make our money? How do we retain these kids and, um, you know, find this common ground of, you know, just doing what you need to do? Um, so, yeah, I think these kids finding their voices it needs to happen. It should happen. It's just how does the governing bodies, how do these governing bodies react to it? 
Right. Yeah. And getting that buffer of time, maybe they will have those conversations and figure things out, but also the last five months didn't really do any of that with the pandemic. So who knows if they could even handle that. And I love college sports. So obviously I don't want to see um, the whole culture of it get mucked up like this. Um, It's kind of, you know, everything going on right now, if you're a sports fan, it's all, unless you just watch like the NBA or the WNBA, like you're having a tough life right now. So, and speaking of other sports though, um, as I said last week, um, with all these cancellations and, and um, everything football, like is, it is um, apparent that, you know, football's not the only fall sport that's going to suffer this year. Um, Stanford, like this is what I had said last week, um, Stanford cut 11 varsity teams permanently a few weeks ago. Like that is crazy. And I also saw something Uh, a statistic this week saying that 19 out of the last 20 volleyball national championships came from the Big Ten or the Pac-12. And now none of those guys are going to play at all. Like, that's crazy. No, it's definitely absolutely crazy. And, I mean, for a team like Florida Volleyball, who has had a lot of success and has, you know, gotten everywhere they needed to but there, you know, but that national championship – you know, this could be if if the SEC does go forward with a fall sports season, this could be a prime opportunity for you know Florida. You know, I hate that it comes at the expense of other teams and these other athletes. But another thing that you know has has come to the forefront of all this is what happens with the transfer portal. Um, uh, I mean, a lot of people, rem- you know, they kind of forget that the transfer portal is for every college sport, not just football. I mean, obviously that's where we, we hear a lot of it from, but I mean, a volleyball player can transfer, a softball player can transfer, a golfer can transfer. And so these teams that aren't going to be playing a fall season, what's stopping these kids from transferring? Um, You know, I think there absolutely is going to be like some kind of rule is going to be need to set, be set into place. And um, you know, but if for whatever reason there isn't a rule and these kids do have blanket waivers and can transfer and, you know, go play where there's going to be a season, maybe because they need to be seen this year in order to go play pro or whatever it is, um, you know, a lot of these, you know, if the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are the three Power 5 conferences that are going to play this season, um, you know, they're going to kind of just be able to make that transfer portal their puppet and kind of pick whoever they want. And, you know, some of the best talent from the Pac-12 and Big Ten are going to be moving, I guess, southeast, if you will, and, um, you know, making a name for themselves here. And, you know, that, of course, has this massive domino and ripple effect because, you know, say a sophomore from the Pac-12 transfers to UF, um, what happens to that kid you've been recruiting since seventh grade? Do they still have a spot on the team or, you know, is there, is there room scholarship wise? Um, So that's definitely something else that we could see happen here um, with some conferences calling it off and, um, you know, other conferences saying we're going to play. And again, like it's, it's just something where a lot of people fail to recognize that, the transfer portal works for every sport. 
and um, you know, obviously, I think football is going to be one that gets hit a lot, gets hit hard by it. Um, but you know, volleyball, um, like you said, as as much success as the Big Ten and the Pac-12 has had in the volleyball world, um, if all these girls start transferring, that's going to change. And right. again, I mean, Florida's been super close, and so again, I hate to see it come at the expense of other you know programs but Mary Wise can definitely make some money moves here and um you know it's not like the University of Florida needs much selling to begin with um but when you add that hey we're in the SEC and that means we're playing a fall sports season that that changes a lot um and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out and what the NCAA does with the transfer portal. Right. And I also think, like, what is going to happen to these conferences that are now a year behind everybody else? So, like, let's say we do keep this um, lack of balance, I guess it would be, with three conferences pursuing fall sports and two not in the Power Five. Um, will this – I guess, movement of talent, the surge of talent in the SEC, in the ACC, in the um, Big 12, will that maintain itself after this season-long hiatus that these other conferences are making? And so in turn, will that cause sort of a drought in these programs that have such rich histories because of this one watershed season? And then also talking about um, how you brought up recruiting, and being like, okay, well, you get these transfers here. What happens to the kids that you've been working with all these years and establishing relationships with? Well, what about all these kids in the conferences that have already canceled fall sports? Because a lot of student athletes are taking this as a message as you don't care what I want because I wanted to play. And you brought me back here. You gave me these guidelines saying that I was going to be safe as long as I followed them and get to play the sport that I love and do what I want to do just to tell me, sorry, we brought you back for nothing because you don't get to play this fall. So if you are that kid that they're recruiting and they're like, look, we want to develop you. We want to make you the best you that you can be and look at this family that we want to bring you into. And it's kind of like, okay, well, like, do you actually mean any of those things that you said? Because you just canceled that whole opportunity for a whole year for everybody that's already joined you. So yeah, I, I also an interesting it, perspective. And so it's not as, as SEC and Gator sports centric, but I do think there's a dichotomy here that that is, of course, unprecedented, like all things are now, but, you know, very interesting and tumultuous, depending on how long the effects of this kind of stuff linger. Yeah, it's really ironic and almost kind of like corny. But if the SEC goes forward with a fall sports season, their slogan of it just means more is going to mean more. I mean, you know, again, slogan or not, it's just that's how it's going to appear um, to these kids. You know, you know, these, all these kids have wanted to do all their life was play Power five, whatever, uh, football, basketball, softball, golf, tennis, you know, you name it. Um, that's been their goal. They've worked, you know, countless, countless, countless hours working towards that. And these places know that. I mean, 
you know, it, to be a power five athlete, you're probably elite um, in your, as far as your caliber is concerned. Um, and so to take that away or have, you know, I saw, I think I saw somebody say, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, a board of say 12 people take a year of sports away from however many hundreds of athletes are in a conference. Um, and so I think, I think the SEC knows that. I think, um, you know, they know if we, if there's any way possible that we can have a fall sports season and we can prove to these athletes across the country who maybe are looking to transfer or these high school recruits, these high school prospects, if we can prove to them that we see what you do, we recognize what we, you do, we respect what you do, and we respect it so much that we're willing to do whatever we need to do to get you guys on a playing surface this fall. I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be huge for the SEC. I think it's going to be huge for the ACC if they go forward and the Big 12 if they go forward. And so I think we could really see geographically a massive skew talent-wise um, when it comes to college sports for, you know, that southeastern part of the United States where I think it's going to be like nutrient-dense kind of when it comes to the caliber of athletes. And we could be looking back from this in five years from now and, you know, saying if not for that virus – you know, this team might not have won a national championship. This team would, might not have, you know, won a national championship. Or, you know, this team might not have built this Alabama football-like dynasty with the recruiting, things like that. Um, so I think that's absolutely a pressing issue. And I think it's something the NCAA, um, you know, with their lack of leadership, I mean, I'll go there. It's fine. Um, with their lack of leadership <laughs> needs to look at and say, how do we avoid, I mean, because – having that skew would be very unhealthy for the NCAA. So how do we avoid that? Can we tell these kids that they can't transfer? Um, you know, can, what do we do with scholarship money? You know, um, if these kids, especially if there's a blanket waiver for an additional year of eligibility, like we saw in the spring, um, can we grant teams more scholarship money? You know, what do you, what do you do? Because otherwise you're going to see a very lopsided country in terms of talent, athletic talent, um, because these kids aren't going to want to play for these places that blatantly kind of said, we don't care what you guys think. Um, you know, here's what our doctors say and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the NCAA, I mean, the issues that they need to look at and look at hard, the stack of papers on that desk right now is really high. It is really, really high. Um, so it, it's just a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, I feel like this could be – the moment, the straw that breaks the camel's back where we see a break from the NCAA, like power five schools just break and realign even if we have this to avoid this like lopsided dynamic that we're talking about right now, Um, which for sports that aren't football would be really tough to watch because then you eliminate the possibility of Cinderella team runs in tournaments and world college world series and things like that. Um, so of course for storylines as sports reporters, we wouldn't want to see that, but at the same time, like Minnesota has been in hot boiling hot water for a long time. 
and their little cop-out crap where they're like, oh yeah, we're just going to let everybody make their own decisions and we're not going to influence it at all. I'm like, what is the point of having a governing body like you if you are not going to make decisions for unity in a time like this? Like, what is the point? You know, like I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the NCAA. I feel like most people that are a fan of sports are not a fan of the NCAA at this point. So, but I don't know. I feel like this is bigger than what anybody can really anticipate it's going to be. Um, but I don't know. I Hopefully for the better, this is going to change college sports. But I mean, we can't really, we can't really say right now. Yeah. And I mean, just to play devil's advocate here too, um, I think a situation like this is really tough for a governing body looking at an entire country and how to handle something is because of how geographically different this virus has been. Um, you know, you know, we, you have epicenters. So, I mean, California is bad. Florida is bad. You know, New York and up there was pretty bad. Um, but then you have kind of, you have other states that, you know, are, are okay. And so, you know, I compare this to the FHSA because as a high school sports reporter, that's something I follow a lot. And that's one of the biggest arguments to how they're going to handle it as a governing body because you know miami dade county they're not playing high school sports anytime soon right um but you know how many small counties do you have in the state of florida like gosh i I don't know you know just in the middle of nowhere you know they might have you know they they might be in the double digits of cases right whereas you know miami dade county is obviously i mean they're probably in you know they're probably seeing four or five digits um, so how is it fit? I mean, how is it fair to those other counties who, you know, they're like coronavirus, who's that? Um, to, you know, say, I mean, we see you, we see that, you know, it's not a big threat to you guys right now, but because Miami Dade's bad, you're not, you can't play either. And so, you know, again, just to play devil's advocate there, I think that's something that the NCAA is struggling with, you know, is there a way to be fair? Um, you know, is life ever fair? I don't think so. I mean, I think you just need to, you know, err on the side of caution and say Florida, California, you know, New York, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what other states are kind of not great. Um, but you know, what we see going on there is enough for us to say, sorry, um, this just isn't something we're comfortable with. Or you, you know, you go on the other side and you say, yeah, I mean, you three or four states, you guys are looking pretty rough, but everybody else is in good shape, so let's just try it and see what happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, I think that's something that they have to consider just because that's what, you know, all these high school sports organizations are having to consider too. Um, and, again, there's just – like everything else in this situation, there's no right answer. So, right. Yeah, and I also respect the fact that we do have to – get back to normal life at some point and we cannot just walk around terrified all the time of things like this um but i do think quite obviously i'm sure i'm not the only one but i do think that this is really exposing a lack of leadership in all aspects of society like not just sports oh yeah so I don't know. I, I get that it's tough. And so I'm, I'm definitely glad that I'm not in 
the head honcho chair, like the person that has to make the decisions and things like that. Cause I know like I, I'm, these are things that I'm saying we should consider, but I know that making these decisions is a lot harder than um, any of us can grasp, but it's definitely, it's definitely messy though. So. Yeah. It's, it's messy. It's frustrating. It's muddy. It's, everything like it's just it's very gray nothing about this has been black and white and i think we live in a very black and white society where it's just like don't tell me maybe you know tell me what we're doing and i'm that way um you know no two ways about it i mean i i am so that way and i get so frustrated like if something's up in the air like i need i need to know what's going on and i think a lot of society is like that and i think a lot of kids our age are like that yeah i'm definitely um, like that <laughs> so you know all those college athletes are probably like that and you know I, I i need to know what my plans are on friday night by monday okay um you know i don't want to be rolling into thursday not knowing what's going on so these kids don't want to be rolling up into september not knowing if they're going to play football or not right or whatever sport and so i think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from um, and unfortunately the, you know, the people receiving that frustration are these leaders who, you know, I get it. You guys don't know, but you know, it comes times where, you know, you wanted this position, you wanted to be a leader, start being a leader, buck up and make a decision. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I get that it's not that easy and you know, there's so much money involved and there's so many people involved and employees and things like that. Um, but it's just, sometimes the going gets tough but you got to make the decision and so I think that's kind of what we're all waiting on yeah in other bad news (laughs) um Kennedy Baker a former UF gymnast came out this week expressing or I guess detailing specific instances of um racial I guess just like issues um, that she encountered while she was at UF. And it's no, this is not the first time that anybody has spoken up about this. And it's no secret that the former leadership of UF gymnastics was not very proactive in trying to mitigate these things and trying to minimize and discourage actions like this. But um, she definitely did not hold back in her message to the UF community and gymnastics community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kennedy, she definitely outlined a very toxic environment that she had to unfortunately live with at the university of Florida. And I've seen a lot of people who are like, this is so sad. If, if true, if this is so sad, if true, you know, um, this is a girl who got her degree from the university of Florida, um, won a national championship at the university of Florida. Uh, I don't think she'd be trash in the University of Florida unless she absolutely had a reason to. Um, and so, I, you know, I understand that everything is kind of, you know, um, innocent until proven guilty kind of thing. But I don't like that sentiment of if true, um, because I think that we live in a country where a lot of victim blaming um, exists. And so for the sake of this argument, I'm going to assume what she's saying is true. And if so, it's incredibly unfortunate um, because, yes, she does detail a lot of racial aggressions that occurred or that, you know, happened to her during her time at UF um, between teammates and how it wasn't handled well at all by, you know, the leadership of the program 
including the head coach at the time. Um, I do not recall her name, but it's not Jenny Rowland, rest assured, who is, um, you know, obviously the head coach of Florida Gymnastics now. Um, but yeah, I mean, she just kind of talked about how her teammates could, you know, might say some racially insensitive things and the leadership of the program would just kind of brush it under the rug and say, we all need to get along because we have a national championship to win. And, you know, in some situations and, you know, very petty situations, maybe that's the appropriate way to handle that. But when we're talking is about something so serious as, you know, racial aggression or racial insensitivity, that's different. I mean, that should be addressed. That should be addressed the moment it's brought up. And, um, you know, she also talked about some of the things that go as far as, um, you know, concerns that she had about her Achilles and telling athletic trainers, hey, I feel like I'm going to tear my Achilles. And her trainer saying, oh, you're just being dramatic, kind of get over it. And later that year, she tore her Achilles. Um, and so, she, yeah, she details a very toxic environment that came about during her time at UF. Um, again, thankfully, it seems as though there's nobody on that staff currently on the staff of Florida. Um, but it's something that's going to be interesting to see how it's handled by the UAA and how it pans out, if they're going to launch an investigation or anything like that. Um, obviously, Kennedy Baker's not at UF anymore, so I don't know what can be done. Um, but she definitely painted a bad picture for uh, Florida gymnastics or I guess what uh, Florida gymnastics was during her time. Um, so, Right. Yeah, the, none of what she in that letter was up to the Gator standard that yeah. you love to boast about um, at UF. But yeah, going off what you're talking about, victim blaming, blaming, um, yeah, if true, that's terrible. Like, I feel like, and maybe, maybe this isn't necessarily a case, but I feel like if a man on a sports team had said that he was dealing with things like this, maybe he wouldn't have gotten so much, like, skepticism with his message because, you know, like, what does she have to gain from that? You know, whether it is um, – harassment based on your skin color or harassment based on um your sexuality or anything like that women know they have this they have this thing in their brain where they're just like okay i'm i'm not going to talk about this because people aren't going to believe me or they're going to tell me that i'm wrong or they're going to tell me to get over it and that's just the way that things go so especially taking going after a brand like UF, such a big fish. Like, what does she have to gain from that? And nobody, like you're saying, nobody that she accuses there anymore. So it's not like she's trying to get somebody fired or anything like that. It's just about being brave enough to speak out and draw attention to issues because we know that gymnastics is being outed for having this really toxic culture. And when it comes to body image, when it comes to um, pushing athletes too far physically and mentally and emotionally and, and things like that. So I definitely, when, whenever I do see things like that, where people don't err on the side of the survivor of whatever trauma that they had to live through, whether it be racial or sexual or violent or anything like that, it definitely irks me because I feel like there's nothing for you to get out of this it's hard to do 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't mean, I guess if she wanted to, could she sue the university? Yes. Um, to my knowledge, it doesn't seem like that's what she's doing. I think she really is just using her platform to educate people. Um, and that's what she wrote in that letter. She says, often whenever I would talk to these her teammates or what have you about you know, the things they were saying, she didn't want to get anybody in trouble or dismissed. She just, you know, wanted to say, hey, um, I don't think you realize this is insensitive, but this is how it makes me feel. Um, so let's not use, let's not say that, let's not do that, whatever. Um, and it seems like during her time at UF, it was seen as, you know, she had a vendetta against this girl and this girl and this girl. And so let's say this and let's try to get him in trouble. Um, and I think it's kind of, people are probably, you know, those who aren't, you know, those who are saying, if true, you know, this is sad, if true, you know, she's already lived through this exact thing at UF, and now she's living through it now, where, again, people are saying, well, I don't know if I believe you, um, but she, again, she's not trying to get anybody in trouble, she's just, she wants to educate people, she wants to use her uh, platform and educate people, and, you know, even though it, is at Florida's, Florida's expense and, you know, at, you know, a top tier gymnastic program at their expense, um, it needs to happen. You know, if, if that, you know, if, if what she went through happened, then she absolutely should disclose every detail about it and use it to educate, you know, not only other gymnasts or fans, but especially, use you know maybe other people out there who are going through this exact same thing will see you know see her testimony and want to stick up for themselves too because it's not cool I mean that's the, that's the reality of it it's, it's just not cool um and so I don't know it's you know I I always hate to see any part of UF um you know drug down but if something needs to be disclosed it needs to be disclosed and especially something of this magnitude um yeah it absolutely deserves to be put out there and whoever you know if if anybody if repercussions could be handed down to anybody they should be um but again i mean nobody's on the staff i mean to my knowledge nobody that was on this her staff is on the staff now so i don't know what can happen um but you know everybody deserves to be able to share their story and um you know, especially something like that. So, unfortunately, it's more bad news, I guess, in a world of nothing but bad news. But, hey, I mean, again, she deserves to share her story just like anybody else, so. Right. And I feel like, as college students, like, that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing right now, going to college and everything. Like, yeah, it's cool to learn about the industry that you're trying to pursue and everything like that. But you get to, you go to college and you're surrounded by all these people that are so different from you. They come from different backgrounds. They have different interests. And so you get to educate yourself on the lives of other people and the cultures of other people. And all these humanities classes that we have to take as part of a requirement to graduate from university. And so I feel like encouraging testimonies like this even though she's not at the school anymore like this is kind of the whole point and we as young people like this is our duty to kind of listen to these stories and elevate these stories and take them into account and make sure that we think about these kinds of things in our everyday life um 
But yeah, all in all, not a good week for college sports. Tough week for Gator sports. Um, but yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? I feel like just watch the NBA and block everything else out. Watch Dame light it up in the bubble and you'll be fine. Just watch that. Watch uh, – Brianna Stewart light it up. Watch Candace Parker freaking kill it in the WNBA. Raise her daughter in the bubble and do NBA postgame stuff. Like, I'm wearing my WNBA sweatshirt right now. So, like, just watch these successful sports leagues. Block everything out until decisions are actually being made. And then we can try to grasp at some form of sanity with everything that's going on. Yeah, and don't log on Twitter Yes, stay off Twitter. Stay off Twitter. The timeline, the timeline is so rough right now. And it's just, yeah. All these crazy anonymous Twitter egg people are just bad for my health. Bad for my mental health. And I do not recommend that anybody else go down that rabbit hole. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have for you guys this week. Hopefully next week we will have um, some more glowing things to talk about for you and some guests you don't have to listen to us talk for almost a whole hour by ourselves um yeah so uh thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next week